Well, if you've been reading through the story, you know now that like some of these chapters that we have cover like way too much stuff to talk about in what in about two hours. I think John told me we have. <clears throat> so there's a lot of choices to make. But what are we looking at as Jesus' ministry begins is, is, is what we're talking about in the story today. This time from the point where he gets baptized, he gets announced and, uh, announced and proclaimed into the world by John the Baptist. He does all these things to reveal the kingdom of God. He starts talking and teaching and preaching. But most of all, what he does is say, come with me. We'll talk about it. We'll preach about it. We'll make the adjustments on the move. But I've got some stuff to show you. The first thing that happens uh, when we start looking at these stories, we start thinking about this question that was up earlier, this question that Jesus would ask Peter a little later on in the gospel. Who do you say that I am? Now that you've seen all these things, now that you've heard this teaching from me, you've experienced my authority, you've seen the kingdom of God. Who do you say that I am? What are you thinking now? Because who you say I am will govern the way you live. So this is what we're looking at today. What do we see? This last summer I went to, uh, had this great experience pop up and I got to take advantage of it to go over to Europe uh, and see the Olympics. I I was part of a coaching group that took some high school kids and a few college kids. After London, we went on to to Germany, uh, Volker. So I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll know what to do over there. I got a German last name. So I, but I, so I made all these uh, mental pictures of what I was going to experience. You know, I got the internet. I can figure it out before I get there. And I actually like convinced myself that I was like a German in that sense. That I would know where to, li- where to look, how to move, not even knowing the language. But when we got over there, another buddy of mine had a guide set up for us. And his name was Mahmoud Kimri. Of all things, this guide was not a German by birth. But what he was, was that he was an, a 27-year-old Iranian. So right away, all these things that I was set up to go see, all these site visits and, and, and sightseeing tours, Mahmoud comes and, and we hook up with him about three days after we were there. Three days of not knowing any language, not knowing how to really move much beyond one street beyond our hotel, thinking that we were, you know, seeing the real Germany. And Mahmoud shows up about three days later. He took a week off of his work and he... And he came and he became the tour guide for our team. He knew the language. He could see the country. And he said, no, Eric and this other buddy of mine, Steve, that was another one of the coaches, you guys don't want to go do those things. Let's walk past those things. Those aren't the important parts of Germany that you're going to want to see, that you're going to want to live and have an experience in. And Mahmoud knew the language. He He knew what streets to take. He knew what to walk past, what not to spend time on. He knew what to show us about the beauty of Germany. And the crazy thing that happened wasn't so much that he showed us all the castles in in, in some of the small towns and how each community is like a collective in and of itself. 
really neat way to live. Those were all good things. But mostly the beauty of the trip was that we, that Mahmoud invited us into his life. This was the best thing about the whole trip. Yeah, we saw Germany too, and it was awesome. But it wasn't the same as the relationship that developed that changed some of the ways I saw like our political situations with a country across the world that we're not so good friends with. But when I came close to this man, he shared his life with us, and it got really good. John the Baptist had this job. The, the prophets had been silent since Malachi. 400 years of nothing. People waiting for deliverance. When is the Messiah going to come? We've been hearing about it a long time. Maybe you've been hearing about it for a long time. Asking the question, when is, it, when is he going to come? John the Baptist comes on the scene and he starts doing baptism into the kingdom of God. And water baptism. He creates this following because he's doing some preaching and some prophecy about how God moves and how God's inviting and calling people to follow him. And then all of a sudden his, his ministry shifts and he starts proclaiming that the Messiah is here now. Repent and believe. Turn your lives around. Turn toward the Messiah and believe what he's going to have to show you so that you can answer the question that comes not just to Peter, but that comes to you and to me. Who do you say that I am? Well, we can't say much about that answer unless we know a little bit about the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus do? Immediately he goes to John and he says, I want to start showing you who I am. I want to start inviting you into the life that I'm bringing, that I'm giving you, so that you can experience the life that I have to give. Now watch this. I need you to baptize me, Jesus says. And John's like, I'm not the guy to do that. I, you know, I'm not even worth like sitting by you, being in the same room, untying your sandals. And Jesus says, no, you are. But the baptism is going to come from God. But I need you to baptize me. So he agrees to do it, and the baptism happens. Jesus comes out of the water. We heard uh, Pastor John read it earlier. The sky splits. The, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And these guys see this. This is what they saw. This is the life that they were invited into. This beautiful thing that happens all in one spot in the Bible, and we don't get it much, where we hear the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This thing that we call the Trinity, the way that God lives in community. And He invites us into this. Short time after that, Jesus starts doing some miracles. I want to show you some other things too, Jesus says. And John, John, smart, John the Baptist is smart enough to say, hey, you guys that have been following me and we've been uh, waiting for this, go with him. And they don't really want to, but they do. So they finally say, hey, Jesus, where are you going? Where, you know, what are we supposed to do? And he says, come and see. I'm going to show you some things. And they get to this wedding. And the first big sign that Jesus does is, to let us know that he's got like this power, this creative power to say, let there be light, to let the, the water and the expanse separate. 
he's going to show it again, that he's got a power over the physical existence of all things. The, they're at this wedding. The wine runs out, and his mom says, hey, can you help us out with some of that power you got? Jesus, oh, man, come on, Mom. Really? So he does it, and he turns the water into wine. This is what the disciples see. They probably even drank some of that wine. Laughed, partied, had some fun. Are you kidding me? Did you just see that? Has your life ever ran out of wine? This is the kind of God that we have that can do that in your life and in mine. All we've got to do is ask. 1 Corinthians 4 tells us that the kingdom of God is not about words. It's not about arguments that divide us, about things to think about. It's about power. Paul goes on in the second part of that verse to say that And this isn't the kind of power that comes with discipline and and rules and stuff like this. This is the kind of power that comes with love and grace to give life. This is what they were seeing. They were being led toward answering this question of who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? Who's that for? When God comes into this world as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who who is this power? Who is this love for? One of the first things that Jesus does is he heads to the temple and he does some teaching. He, he, He first sign he shows that I've got power and dominion, sovereignty over this physical world. I can change anything. Water to wine, you name it. But there's another thing that he really came to do. Another thing that he came to reveal, and it was his authority over the spiritual world. And so he heads to the temple, he does some teaching, creates a stir, because this guy isn't teaching like, you know, just proposing some ideas here. He's teaching this stuff like it's his. That creates a little bit of a problem. Unless we can answer the question, who do you say that I am? So Nicodemus, one of the temple's Israel's big teachers at the time, finds Jesus privately, a little less risky. He says, what's up with that? Why are you teaching like this? You know how many problems you're creating for us here? And we're heading toward one of the best verses in the Bible that John gives us. But Jesus has a little teaching to do to Nicodemus before he gets there. He says, you know, you guys in the, this temple, this church at the time, you think you got this thing all locked up. I'm here to show you that I'm not just here to turn water into wine. I'm, her, I'm here to turn death into life. I'm here to bring the kingdom of God into this world and into your lives. And you know what, Nicodemus? It isn't just because you guys have been born into this family of Abraham that that you had the right descent and you grew up in the right place and had the best circumstance of life given to you. You see, you have to be born again. And this, this is by the Holy Spirit. This is not limited to family lines that we grow up in. 
This is not limited to our experience, our circumstance of life. The, the Holy Spirit blows where it does. If people will receive it, it's for everyone. And so we get to this great verse in the Bible, John 3.16, probably the most memorized verse in the Bible. Do we have it up here? Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Love and whoever. This whoever word, uh, you get into the Greek, and you know we got a lot of different words for pers- proper pronouns and all these things. But the Greek goes to a P- P-A-S, pas, everything, everyone, as wide as it gets, no limits. That's who the whoever is in this one. And you think this uh, stressed Nicodemus out? Sure it did. Because this went far beyond Israel, far beyond the Jewish culture at the time who thought that they held this God in their box and that they were the ones that distributed the kingdom of God. You see, when people get touched by this love of God, it changes their lives. It changes our lives. We quit looking at the scenery and start looking at God and the life that it gives us. The scenery doesn't matter so much anymore. It still matters. It's what God gives us. But it becomes less important than the life itself that we live. What do we see? Who do we say that he is? I want to share a video with you that's been created. Uh, uh, It's about a little bit of, it's a hope story of Simon Estes. Maybe you've heard him sing. He grew up here in Iowa. He's an opera singer. He's sung all over the world. He saw something. He saw it at a really young age. Take a look. My grandfather was a slave sold for $500. My father couldn't read or write. Uh, they came to Centerville, Iowa because of coal mines. And of course, in Centerville, Iowa, it wasn't any different than Albia or Bloomfield or any place else. There was discrimination. When I was a kid growing up, we couldn't swim in the swimming pool with white kids in Centerville until much later on. Then they would let us sing only on Saturday mornings between 9 and 11. We got out of the swimming pool, they put more disinfectant in the water. We couldn't sit downstairs in a movie theater with white kids. I shine shoes at Sconzo's Barbershop to make money. And and on Saturdays, sometimes I would make, I don't know, almost $20 or $20. I started shining shoes at 8 in the morning, and they didn't close that barbershop to 9 at night, and I didn't stop, and I got 15 cents for shining shoes. And I hated it because they made fun of me because I was colored, and they'd say, hey, boy, dance while you're shining the shoes. And I didn't do that. I just kept shining the shoes. But I would share it with my mother. Because my father probably never made $23 a week in his whole life, 18 to $23 a week. So I shared it with my family. If I would come home and a white kid had called me, for example, the N-word or hit me, I'd come and say, Mother, that white boy. She said, Son, you get down on your knees and you pray for that boy. And of course, when you're 10 years old, you think there's something wrong with your mother. You say, But wait a minute, Mother, he hit me or he called me the name. She said, You pray for him. Then when I started singing opera, there was a lot of discrimination because I was a black man. It was much harder for black men and black women. A lot of houses that wouldn't let me sing in the United States. And my mother always said, son, 
don't hate those people. I remember I called her in the early 70s from New York City. I said, Mother, I've sung in Rome and Paris and Berlin and Vienna and Zurich and London, all around, but they won't let me sing in the opera houses in my own country. And she said, Son, you get down on your knees and you pray for those people. I never compromised my values, my principles, my faith, or my morality, but I did sometimes have to swallow my human pride because I should have been paid more and I should have been able to sing in these places sooner, but I couldn't, but I just never gave up and never became bitter. This is what Jesus came here to do, to say, let my people go. He didn't just asking. It wasn't a request. He did it. As Jesus taught this through the temple, he taught that for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, whoever, this is part of the whoever. How do we hold this? Who do we see as the whoever? Who do we say that Jesus is? when he says that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do we really believe this? If we believe this and we hear these stories of oppression, how do we walk through those when those are our own lives? Do we do what Israel tended to do is close up the doors and and keep this for ourselves? To start defining who this is for and, and who it might not be for. Who needs to get their life straight before I might invite them? into one of these experiences that says, come and see. Jesus has something to show you. As Jesus left the temple, he didn't leave the disciples hanging there. The lessons weren't over. It takes a lifetime of following to let this stuff sink in. Come and see, he he said. Let's go do some more stuff. I want to show you some more things. I want to show you the kingdom of God and that it's really about love. So what's he do? He... He's up here uh, coming up against the temple system itself saying, you don't control me. This love is for everybody. Now, let me show you the extent of everybody. So he leaves the temple and he says, come on, let's go. And he, heads, he does a lot of these things. Uh, the, the gospel writers tell us that these are some accounts, some highlights of what happened, but there's way too many to even write them down into the recorded word of God. But let's, let's look at a few. One, he goes to the sick, sick guy. A guy with leprosy. Now, if you've ever been around somebody like with uh, skin infection, uh, maybe, maybe you've experienced somebody that's had some cancer that's got out in their skin level and you've, you've, your eyes have actually seen something like that and the fear rises up in you that if maybe you're in that hospital room and you actually, I don't even know if I really want to even get close to that or touch it because it might touch me. This is the type of thing that Jesus went straight for. Straight for it. And the guy says, Lord, if you're willing, will you heal me? I'm not from the house of Israel. I'm not from this line of descent. I don't have a bunch of money and I don't have the best circumstance of life. As a matter of fact, I'm really sick. Nobody will pay attention to me or touch me. Will you heal me? If you're willing, just say it. Jesus reaches out and breaks the biggest, one of the biggest rules of all at that time. He touches somebody in this type of condition. Reaches out and touches 
right where they're sick. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. The dude gets up. Love changes his life. And he runs off and tells everybody else he knows about it. Hey, did I tell you what happened to me? Can I tell you about what I've seen? About the journey that my Savior, the Messiah, has taken me on? A little bit later, he's not done yet. You think the unclean are the lowest? I don't think so. Let me come closer to some of you sitting in the room. The women. And this time, women were the lowest of low. Women who had sinned and, and it created like filth on them. They were like looked at as outcasts. And, uh, and of all things, she was a Samaritan too. She was like, uh, you know, some, you got West Side and East Side of Des Moines. The West Sides are saying, yeah, East Sider, South Sider. You got the East Side saying, these West Des Moines people, come on. Really? Let's get real. You know how that rises up, right? I'm not talking to them, let alone somebody from Iran. He find, Jesus finds himself at Jacob's well, sitting there one day in the midday. His disciples head into town. Jesus knew what he was going to do this day. He sits and he's waiting. This Samaritan woman shows up in midday to haul water. Out of the norm, outcast. Usually they haul water in the morning or the evening when it's cooler. But she's outcast even from her own community. Been married a bunch of times. Jesus tells her all these things and she's like blown away that he would know this stuff. This guy who can change water into wine, touch somebody's skin infection, physical sickness and heal it. Somebody who can go into a temple and claim that he can forgive sin. And she's shocked that he knows her life. And he just shakes the rug off. You see, the kingdom of power is it's not about words. It's about power. And this power is love and grace. And if she were a dirty rug, he just lifts it up in his conversation and gently shakes it off, shakes all the dirt out of it. And he says, all right, there you go. Go and sin no more. And love touches her life. She runs back into her community, probably arms wide open, breaking a bunch more rules. But love changed her life. She saw something. She has an answer for the question, who do you say that I am? She's living again. The water turned into wine again. And it's for everybody. Simon Estes put a lot of this stuff to work in his life. He had a choice of, uh, of walking in the oppression and letting that reality be his life. And as a young boy, he thought that was the way to go. But his mom saw something too. She, she had an answer to the question, who do you say that I am? Who you say that you are, Christ, is somebody that says, pray for your enemies. Don't hold it against them because it's going to take the life right out of you. You get down on your knees, Simon, and pray for these guys who called you the N-word, who, who s smacked you down. 
who won't let you sing in the opera houses because of the color of your skin. You get down on your knees and pray for them for the forgiveness of sin. That God would touch them so that they could see something. This Samaritan woman, Jesus finally tells her, whoever drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of this water, this is what stuff Jesus says. Remember, this is the guy who changed water into wine, who can touch somebody's physical sickness and heal it, who can forgive sin. And he says that if you drink the water that I have to give, the living water, if you drink my life, if you'll accept it, you'll never be thirsty again. Never. Not just for a day or, 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 or two days or a week. You'll never be thirsty again. Do you think that your heart changes in that reality that you want to go out and let your light so shine before others that they will see the good work that you're doing, that God's doing in you, and give glory to the Father in heaven? This is what God's doing. This is the walk that Jesus says, hey, come on and see. I want to show you something. I want to give you something. And it's not really the something of the stuff that I want to show you. This sh I want to show you something. Come and see is about let me give you everything I have. And when you fall down and get it short, let me shake your rug off and get going again because that's what I'm here to do, to give you grace and forgiveness so that you can see the way the kingdom of God works and share it with everybody you know. Simon's mom taught him this from a re really young age. We've got a little more of the clip to show you and we'll get ready for communion. Take a look. And when I was at the University of Iowa, I thought, if the Lord ever blesses me, and I didn't know I was going to be an opera singer at that time, but I thought, because I struggled so much, sometimes I'd have enough to eat, but I thought, if the Lord blesses me, I want to help children go to college and university because it was so difficult for me. That's another gift, I believe, that God gave me, and I wanted to follow, and I want to continue following Jesus' example to serve. And if you love someone, you're going to be kind to them when you're going to serve. Jesus said, I came to serve and not to be served. Well, I, I sang in the grand finale concert of the World Cup in 2010 in Johannesburg in the Coca-Cola Dome and the president from South Africa was there, etc. But before that, the moderator, and they had two big soccer players there, they went out and told this situation, this statistic about malaria. I knew malaria still existed, but not to this degree. And so the moderator said, 90% of all of the malaria deaths are in Africa. And she said, every 30 seconds a child dies of a mosquito bite and they need a $5 net to sleep under. And a million children are dying every year. Well, my heart was touched. It's a sin against humanity. It's a sin against love, which, who is God, that we're letting these children die because it can be stopped. All they need is a $5 net. The nets have to be treated, etc., etc. My wife's daughter, was a, is a member of Hope Church. And about five years ago, when they were putting that big cross in, my wife's daughter told her mother about this. And so we were in the Des Moines area. I was probably teaching at Iowa State. And so we, that Sunday, we were in the Des Moines area. So we went to search with her daughter. And that was the first time I heard Pastor Householder preach. This is the type of church that Christ speaks about, that God speaks about in the Bible. A church is a collection of people who come to worship the Lord but then to serve and to help one another. And I've been, been in many cathedrals. I've sung in the Vatican. I've been big cathedrals in New York City and all around the world. 
and I'm not in any way putting down any other church at all, but I've never seen a church that has this dedication of service for humanitarian needs and causes. And so I think it's something very urgent. So this is a, maybe one of the last big missions that God wants me to do on this earth, but I really want to do all I can to help save, I hope, a million children's lives. I'll walk with God from this day on. This is the kind of life God invites us into. It's the kind of life that He provides, that He calls us into, that He says, come and see. Not just come and see that you're going to observe it, but come and see that it becomes your own life. Four buddies had been hearing about this healing for a while. And they had a buddy that uh, one of their friends was sick and paralyzed. He'd been on a mat, for a, laying on this mat, maybe like this rug right here, for a long time. And hearing about what other people have been coming and seeing. And they knew there were crowds following, so they, they had witnesses that they could see. They grabbed the mat. They're like, hey, come on, we're going to take you, buddy. See this guy that can heal. We're not really sure who he is, but we've heard things about this guy. Things that other people have seen. We start to see their lives changing in a way that's unmistakable. It's undeniable. They're starting to follow this man called Jesus. They're saying that he can heal people and forgive people of sin. Let's go see him. Well, I can't get there. I can't walk. Let me take you. Let me invite you so that you can come and see. They get the mat, probably four of them, maybe six of them, you know, and they're carrying it. They walk up to this house where they heard Jesus was doing some healing, and everybody else had heard about it too. It's like a four-hour wait period. So, but they don't want to wait. You know, they don't understand the American way. We get in line, you know, we wait. They're kind of more European. Bump through, and a line is variable. They grow right up on the roof. Climb it up. I don't know how they got him up there. Took some work. Took some risk to get their buddy up on top of this. Somebody else's house. You kidding me? They find a hole. They make a little hole in the roof. They see Jesus down in there teaching and healing people. People waiting to be taught and healed. They lower this guy down in. Can you imagine that? The ceiling opens up and it's like, well, what's this? These guys come on, coming on down in. Hey, the, our, can you heal our friend? We've come to see. We've come to walk in the life that you are offering. He couldn't come, so I brought him. Will you heal him? Will you heal him? Will you heal me? This is the life that God offers. seriously committed to give it to this point that in the night in which he was betrayed our Lord Jesus took bread he gave thanks and he broke it 
He gave it for everyone. Everyone to eat. He said, eat this and do this in remembrance of me. Of the things that I've done. The things that you've heard about. The things that you've experienced. After they got done eating, he probably stood up and he called his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant shed for you, for all. Can I say that again? It's shed for all people. Because all people need it for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't just look at it. Eat it. Let it become who you are. Walk in the power of the kingdom of God. Love and grace. Come and see. The table's set. I want to invite the communion servers to come forward. While they're coming forward, let's pray the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever.